You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When I first met Elise Moll, I knew her as the funny, smart skater girl who volunteered with me at 2SER, a community radio station. A lot has changed since those days, not least of which is that we are both now mothers. But for Elise, the standard method of falling pregnant wasn't going to cut it, and so she started researching surrogacy. And she's here to talk about that experience with the results of that experience, Franklin, who, whom we might hear after he finishes drinking his milk. Hi, Elise. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Now, why was falling pregnant with your partner not a possibility for you? Well, um, I just always have to do things a little bit differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's quite a long story, but in my late 20s or mid-20s, my lungs really started to fail and I had held out for so long um, that I just couldn't really keep going, couldn't work anymore and I couldn't really walk, like take a couple of steps was too much for me. So I had a double lung transplant in 2012 um, and it was completely life-changing. I was able to uh, see a future ahead of me and my, with my partner. So let's talk about your partner, yeah. Reese. Um, so you obviously had met before the double lung transplant. That's yeah. a massive operation. Yes. What was that experience like for both of you together as a couple? It was, it really tested our relationship. It was really, um, really full on because we'd only been together for about a year and a half at that time. And in your early 20s. Yeah. 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 Or mid, yeah, mid twenties. It's all young in your twenties, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but we were already living together, and um, you know, like in love and and committed, um, and yeah, it was just yeah, being sick cast a very um, big shadow over the relationship. But I guess Reese is always someone who you can talk to. Like he's very. He's very good at listening. He's just always, he's been such a good carer for me, um, which was also a hard thing to be someone's carer when you're in a relationship with them. Um, and, and that was a difficult period for us, but we got through it because we loved each other and we just had hope that things would get better. Now, you were in your mid to late 20s when you were, when you met each other, when you fell in love, when you had the operation. And we know that women are having babies later in life. Mm. What was it that made you think, okay, we have to start thinking about this now? Um, I guess I've always known that life is really short. I've always lived my life by that philosophy and I've done some pretty crazy things in my life um, and sort of you know living on the edge and um, Skating. getting the most out of life yeah we, I went to Afghanistan as a journalist for a little time uh, and survived that just <laughs> yeah I just sort of I didn't want to waste time and I wanted to 
take advantage of the opportunity that I'd been given and the generosity of an amazing person who decided to donate their lungs to someone else and that was me. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was given an opportunity that I never thought I would have before the transplant. I hoped for a family one day, but it was a very distant dream. And then once I knew I had a life to live after that, then yeah, my perspective had completely changed. And what, in terms of falling pregnant, what was the situation there? Yeah, so I would have been able to carry a pregnancy if um, I didn't have an episode of rejection in 2014 when my body had rejected the lungs because they were foreign to my body. The rejection occurred because um, just to mix up with medications. So it was really, really sad and unfortunate. And I lost about half of the lung capacity that I had gained from the lung transplant. Wow. So it was pretty devastating. It also meant that at, you know, at the time of the rejection, I was really sick and I felt like I was almost as sick as I was before the transplant, but I actually was not as bad as that. And unfortunately I didn't have any of the other issues that I used to have with cystic fibrosis, um, with constant chest infections because the lungs don't have CF in them anymore. Yeah, just to sort of permit damage to the lung that reduced the uh, lung capacity, which I can't get back. And it meant that I couldn't couldn't take a risk on getting pregnant because pregnancy can bring on more rejection and I didn't have any more... To reject. Yeah, Yeah. nothing spare to lose. Yeah, and so that's when you decided you were going to look into surrogacy. Yeah. So I know a bit about surrogacy in Australia, Mm -hmm. that it needs to be altruistic, Mm -hmm. that you can't have any exchange of money and it's quite tough and it's quite hard for that reason to find a surrogate. Did you look in Australia first and then how was that process? Yeah, we, um, we started researching and looking into forums and telling our close friends and family about what we wanted to do. And then in the process of our research, we went along to a surrogacy convention. I think it occurs every year now. And just got a lot of information about surrogacy in different parts of the world as well. And we met a few people who had been to countries like America, the Ukraine and Greece. And so it was, it was sort of on a, in the back of our mind that it could happen overseas if we weren't able to, to find someone close to us to, to do it for us. Because unfortunately, I don't have a sister. Um, my, a few of my aunties had offered, but they're a bit old. <laughs> uh, don't tell them I said that. No, fair enough. I think they can accept that. <laughs> um, yeah, and like a few close friends also, also had offered. Um, but it just, they hadn't, you know, finished making their own families as well. So there's quite a lot of criteria involved if you want to be a surrogate. And there just wasn't really anyone in my life who met that criteria at that time. And so how did you land on Canada, which is where you ultimately found your surrogate? Mm. How did you decide that was the place to go? Um, so I guess maybe after a couple of years of just talking about it, I went back to the um, fertility clinic where we made our embryos and, you know, they were just sitting there in storage waiting for the next step. And um, they had just been visited by a couple of agencies 
in Canada to, to provide some information about what was happening in Canada in terms of surrogacy. And yeah, it turned out that, that Canada has very similar laws to Australia, very similar culturally. And over there, if we were to pursue surrogacy, we wouldn't be breaking any Australian laws because it yeah, would have to also be altruistic. Yeah, so it's I guess It's an incredible that, thing, isn't it, though, the altruism part of it. Yes. What did it feel like when you knew you had someone, a potential... Because you had to meet your surrogate and make yeah. sure it was all going to work between yes. you all. But how did it feel, that process of knowing someone was there who would do this for you, but also then meeting them and getting to know them? We had a few potential people offer that didn't work out. So we had sort of been down down that road a little bit with other people so we knew not to get our hopes up and we knew that you know nothing is happening until the woman is pregnant like you just can't know that this is happening until that until or even until the baby is born really so there's a lot of anxiety in hoping everything goes to plan and that all the everything aligns and yeah, a bit of a roller coaster, I would say. And what is your surrogate like? She is the most down to earth, beautiful human being, I, being I've ever met. We're just such great friends now, and I consider her family. Yeah, we got to know her over the last couple of years before he was born, and then when just before he was born, we went over and spent some time with her and her family, um, just to really get to know them better. And we just had a blast with them. Like, they're really our kind of people. Like, just we had so many similarities and interests and, you know, similar values. So it just felt like a perfect match. What is he sucking on? I can't see his face. His bottle. He's sucking on his... It's the cutest sound, <laughs> if you can hear it in the um, recording. He's not really drinking anymore. He's just sucking on oh, it. Oh, <laughs> he can just go keep sucking. That's fine. Did you ever talk to her about what had motivated her to become a surrogate in the first place? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was all very much part of the early conversations we had with her. She saw a couple very close to her going through fertility issues for about six years, um, not being able to conceive a baby. And at one point she was going to offer to be their surrogate. So it was definitely something she had thought about doing before. And then they conceived a child, so it wasn't needed anymore for her to to offer that to them. She heard about us because her sister-in-law is a friend of mine I I used to work with. And that was good because we had someone who could vouch for her and we could trust that, you know, this person was genuine. But we actually, we didn't know her before that first introduction. Does that sound, when you say that now, does that kind of feel a bit incredible? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, it was just too good to be true. Um, and yeah, that I guess maybe we thought that was the case when we first met her because early on she expressed interest in being our surrogate and we felt that connection with her immediately. So we really wanted it to work out, but yeah. Which, which it did. Yeah. Um, but then of course, like you said earlier, you, you never do things the easy way, perhaps, <laughs> not necessarily by your own choice. Franklin was premier, is that correct? Yeah, six weeks. Premier. Six weeks premier, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. What happened to make it that um, early? Yeah, so uh, early in the pregnancy, Kendall, our surrogate, was diagnosed with as a previa, 
So there was an issue with his fetal cord and vessels covering her cervix, which, you know, ruled out a natural birth, a safe natural birth. So, yeah, it was about 20 weeks where, when we found out. And we were going to have a home birth. And then after that news, everything changed and we were going to have a scheduled caesarean. And then in the end, like because Bazit Previa carries the risk of premature birth as well, that ultimately is why he came so early. What was, I mean, prem, having a premature baby is, um, it's a big experience for parents. Yeah. What was it like being in another country with your surrogate being born premature and then seeing mm. them in the neonatal world? What was that like? Firstly, it was an incredible experience because we were at his birth and we got to see him being born, but it quickly turned into like, you know, tears of despair because we knew something was wrong. It's just such a shame that baby's lungs are the last thing to develop in the womb. So his lungs weren't ready yet and he had to be put on a breathing mask and, you know, supported with his breathing. Um, so yeah, it was really difficult to see that because it brought back a lot of memories for me, not being able to breathe myself and undergoing, you know, medical intervention. And at the same time, we weren't really sure what was happening because everyone was so focused on him and they weren't really telling us what was going on. And then everyone was sort of surprised that I was the mother and I was just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> like they were like, oh, you recovered quickly. And then, um, you know, people were like, it's a surrogate birth. It's not the birth mother. <laughs> Um, so it was a bit awkward. <laughs> and how long was he in hospital for? Um, a week. A week. Yeah. We, yeah, like he was, because he was so, born so big, he was um, 2.8 kilos. Um, and like a really That's good, big for a preemie. Yeah, really good size. <laughs> Others are thinking, it does not sound big. But it was <laughs> no, a good I mean, size for a preemie. Yeah, and everyone was like, oh, he's like a full-term size baby. And like he was he was really healthy in every other way. He didn't have any blood sugar problems or um, any jaundice. Like he was just, just a really strong boy. And... Yeah, it was just, you know, he needed that extra support for his lungs for a few more days and um, we were quite anxious to get him out of hospital because it was financially we were paying for the hospital out of pocket because we weren't residents of Canada. So what was that actually like given you, you're in another country, different currency, hospital's expensive anyway? I mean, the issue was we couldn't insure him early on in the pregnancy because we found out so early that he had vasoprevia, which is a pre-existing condition. So being premature, wouldn't they wouldn't have covered him. And then Canada and Australia don't have reciprocal health care. And it didn't matter that he was a Canadian citizen being born there. We all had to be residents of Canada to be entitled to health cover. So that was really big issue for us very anxious about the the bill like piling up over the days you know one day in in ICU really very very expensive but at the same time we just wanted to focus on him and his care and just get you know everything that he needed so there was 
anxiety, then there was love and joy and watching him get better and better every day. So eventually we just had to put that aside, all the financial worry, and just really be focused on him. It was hard. Yeah. And so he was um, there for a week. Mm. How long after you got out of hospital were you able to come home? So we stayed for six more weeks after that. We had our own little Airbnb where we just could be a little family unit and get to know him. And it was just amazing just having that time with him to just, just enjoy him, enjoy being a family together. But also because we were so close to Kendall, our surrogate, we spent a lot of time with her. And, and that was really important because it would have been worse for everyone if we had just left left her out of the picture and cut ties with her, which some people do, which I would find very difficult. And it was definitely the best thing for Franklin to get to know Kendall once he was outside the womb. And she, she was expressing milk for him too. So she just, yeah, she's an amazing person. What was it like leaving after that six weeks? Oh, it was emotional. It was... Um, Kendall and her husband Dave drove us to the airport and we were just, Kendall and I were in tears. Kendall said that she wasn't just sad because Frankie was leaving. It was the whole family um, that she had bonded with and we we had bonded with her. So we all found it really difficult to leave and just wish we could have stayed a bit longer. Um, But, you know, we had family back here that really were dying to meet him and see us home safe, so we have to go. So he's uh, three months now. How's yeah. he been going? He's incredible. You would never know that anything went wrong, <laughs> that he was ever in hospital. He's just really strong and, and healthy and beautiful. And how are, how are the folks going, you and your partner, yeah, Reese? Good, yeah, we're really good. I mean, I think we're quite lucky that he's relatively good at night, sleeping through the night. You know, he just wakes up to feed, goes back to bed. So we're really quite fortunate. And he's a beautiful baby. Uh, So, look, obviously cost, as you said, you had to put that aside and Mm. move on and focus on his care. But surrogacy isn't cheap. Fertility treatments aren't cheap. And certainly out-of-pocket hospital expenses are horrifically expensive. Do you know how much overall this has cost? Yeah, we've kept a pretty tidy spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean the hospital hospital bill after he was born was over close to 110,000 Canadian dollars. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) How does that equate to Australian dollars? Oh, it's close to 120. 20,000. Yeah. And then some of, you know, extra expenses involved in, you know, staying a bit longer in Canada to make sure he got all his checks before we could go home, which on the plane, he was just incredible. So it was worth waiting for him to be as well as he could. But then, you know, the surrogacy, just the surrogacy before birth, well, as an estimate would be probably in 70,000. Wow. And, you know, that and that's includes... an altruistic surrogate as yes. well. So that's just yes, the costs of... Mm, legal expenses, so paying um, for her legal representation, 
just all her expenses, medical, which you'd be covering here mm. in Australia if it was you, if it was yourself, you know, like maternity clothes and things like that. And, you know, we would send boxes of fruit and vegetables and stuff as well to make sure she was getting some good food in there. Well, you don't strike yeah. me. I mean, it has been years since we last saw each other. <laughs> but I, I don't remember you ever becoming a high-flying stockbroker <laughs> or anything like that. I'm not sure if your oh. partner is one. <laughs> no. um, so how no. do you handle those sorts of costs? Because this was a choice to have a baby. So all the expenses of just the surrogacy was lots of a few years of savings, um, working really hard. We didn't, yeah, all that money really that we saved has spent, been spent on a surrogacy. And the hospital bill is is beyond our means at the moment, um, which is why we've set up a GoFundMe page to try and seek donations and support from people to help us cover the, the cost of the bills because we, we definitely intend to honour our debt to the amazing people at the hospital who, I guess, saved his life or made it possible for him, for us to have our little baby. Um, so, yeah, that's the plan at the moment. Okay, well, we'll definitely put links to that GoFundMe page in the notes of this episode. Elise, thank you so much for coming in and telling your story. Thank you for having me. That's Elise Mole, And as I said, Elise and Reese have a GoFundMe page and we'll put links to that in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.